If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to the 115th Psalm, Psalm 115. Eli, I got to thank you for bringing the perfect sermon illustration for today. I think it's the perfect, I don't know. So this is a football player, right? Andy Dalton. I don't think he still plays for the Bengals, does he? No, who's he play for now? Cowboys, how much is this card worth? You don't even know what I'm talking about. I can't believe your dad hasn't taught you this. You got it in a pack? Okay. Back in the day, kids, you used to get a little, it was a Topps magazine, and you'd have to open it up, and you'd find the value of the card. Um, my brother, he always beat me up for my, ex- my good cards, and so I didn't have any good ones. Um, that's neither here nor there. Anyways. Fun anecdotal story that helps personalize me to you, I'm sure. Okay, so this picture of a football player, uh, it's just a picture, right? What if, what if, Jacob, I took this picture and I ripped it in half? Oh, I didn't rip it in half. Wasn't that a nice effect? It was like a 3D like rip. I didn't anticipate how good that would be, but uh, uh, just, wow. I mean, I feel really good about that. What if I ripped it, Jacob? Would that be a nice thing to do? No. Would it say something about how I felt about Andy Dalton? Yeah, I'd be like, he doesn't like Andy Dalton, does he? But you're telling me, this is just a picture, though. This isn't really Andy Dalton, is it? No, this is just a picture of him, but it represents Andy Dalton. And so if I were to rip it, or if you were to rip any picture of anyone, that would be like, oh, you're saying something about how you feel about it. In the, in the days of the Bible, when the Israelites were looking to follow, or follow God, they were told not to have any other gods. And one of the things they told them not to do was to make an image. Not to make an image of God. And worship it. It was called making an idol. Don't make any idols. And so what, uh, what the conflict became, though, was is that the people did make idols. They did become like the culture around them. They did, and what they were, what idols were, isn't that kind of a confusing word? Audrey, are you still tracking with me? Idols were, in a way, a picture of a god. And it was to make a representation of them. And so God told his people you're not to make any images of God because I am the only God for you. I want you to worship me only. Well, the people, they mess this up quite a bit and they get goofed up and that's understandable and God does a lot to fix that. But the question would be, how do we have uh, idols today? And maybe worshiping football teams might be one of those things, but I'm going to allow it this year for the IU football team. You guys can root all you want for them. I mean, they've, you've, they've had it coming, so don't feel bad about it, you know, for a little while. So you get the blessing to keep rooting, whatever. Okay. I, uh, I have a, an idol all set up. So Eli, this is an idol that just popped up the last couple of weeks. Uh, Rylan, would you pull up the monolith in Utah. Maybe you saw this in the news. 
This is just a random piece of metal that was sitting uh, in a Utah cave somewhere. I don't really know what's going on. Of course, people thought it was aliens, but it has rivets and screws, so I think it came from Lowe's. Um, uh, and, you know, unless there's a Lowe's on Mars that we're not aware of. But uh, uh, anyway, so this captured the attention, and people started uh, flocking to it and trying to find it and all these different things. This is very much like an idol of the ancient past, but we still have these things that draw our attention, draw our worship. Now, what if you destroyed that, the person that made it? It turns out, sorry to inform you, an artist made it. Somebody claims responsibility for it. And so what if that was destroyed? How would that make that artist feel? Right? It would upset them. Anyways, there's a point to all of this. It's in Psalm 115. If you'd want to read along with me here, we can follow Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold and made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord and the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. It is not... The dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence, it is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore, praise the Lord. Now, looking at that monolith for a second, it's just a piece of metal. But what if someone said, okay, if you worship this, if you fall down before it, if you bring your very best, uh, your very best chicken. Jacob, do you have your very best chicken with you? You don't even have one. But if you had one, you would be expected to bring your very best chicken and lay it before that chunk of metal. Would that make a whole lot of sense to you? Now, what if I told you if you came and brought your best chicken and you laid it in front of that, you'd get two dozen eggs every day for the rest of your life? That there was a benefit to it. Would you do it then? Would you bring your best chicken? Go ahead. You don't want that many eggs. I, I, I have too many eggs. That was a mistake. The ancient world looked at idols as a way of finding control, a way of bringing about order into a disordered life. And so the idolatry in the ancient world was about trying to find some way to control the things that were uncontrolled. I know we can't relate to that at all, but uh, the, uh, so the challenge was, or for them, was in the face of drought and famine, they go and they would worship the god, uh, the idol of rain, and they would worship it and try to appease the god to bring about fertility and fruitfulness and, and life. And so they were trying to appease them. 
So in the ancient world, when uh, the psalm was written, the 115th psalm was written, it is explained as potentially being written after the exile of the Israelites. And so they are looking at the Israelites, and they are saying, and they're asking this question, where is your God? And they're asking the question, where is your God, because things are not going right. You, know, you don't ask the question, where is your God, when everything's hunky-dory and everything's going well. So the accusations begin to be uh, launched at the Israelites, and they are asking the question, if things are not going so well for you, what is your God up to? And then he turns and he looks and he says, well, let's talk about your idols for a second. Before we, you know, before we start picking on our God, let's talk for a moment about your idols. They have hands, they have feet, they have noses, they have eyes. And guess what? They're blind, deaf, and mute, and they can't go anywhere. They are lifeless. And those who worship them will become like them. Those who worship the idols will become like them. They will be lifeless. There will be nothing in them. So let's get that out of the way. And oh, by the way, our God is the God of the heavens. Our God is enthroned on high. And all of these silly things that you do, they mean absolutely nothing. And we don't get to control our God. We don't get to control Him. What we do is we trust Him. We trust in the Lord. We trust Aaron, trust in him. And he goes through the list of just saying, all the house of Israel is to trust in the Lord. This is what we do. In good times and bad, trust in the Lord. And so we look at the beginning of the passage, and it says, not to us, but to him be the glory. Not to us, but to him. Which is a really challenging thing when you, when you think about it. When things aren't going right and people are saying, where's your God at? And you're saying, we're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to trust in Him. So I, I've already read John 1 to you, which is the reminder that God is in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. The Word was in the beginning. The Word takes on flesh. I want to invite you with Psalm 115 um, sitting in your conscience, resting in your conscience. I want you to turn to First John. And when we look at First John, some things should start to come to light with Psalm 115 in our heart and mind. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. The story of Christmas is the reminder of the stark contrast of these idols that are empty and lifeless to remind us that God, our Savior, our Lord of all creation, came and He put on flesh. And He had eyes and ears and a nose and a heart and He was touched and He was loved 
and people were drawn to him, and he held, and people held on to him. And with such stark contrast of Psalm with uh, Psalm one fifteen that says, "You become like what you worship in them; you become lifeless when we worship and glory." Jesus Christ, we take on his life and we take on his mind and his heart and we become like him. Christmas is the story of God taking on flesh and incarnational love. And so we do not, rep- we do not follow a God who is incapable of understanding our grief and our sorrows. He's gone through it all. And we have a God who people touched and, and walked with and lived. And John, he starts out saying, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've talked with him, we've walked with him. We've spent time with him, and we want you to know that he really, truly lives and that there's life in him. He said, we've written all of this so that you might have the joy of Jesus, that you might have the joy of life, that you might have the joy of knowing that there's one who came to seek and save and rescue you. So then this question that sort of our culture asks of us, it's still asking the question, where is your God? The story of Scripture reminds us and teaches us that we get to represent God in this world, that we get to be His hands and His feet. We get to be the people who continue to go forth and be the heart of Christ in this world. And we get to be God eyes and ears on the ground. Because of Christ's incarnational love, we get to be God's incarnational love with every person in our community and every person in our church family. We get to be God's love in this world. The story of Christmas is about God taking on flesh. The story of the cross is about God giving us a new heart and a new life in Him. The invitation of Psalm 115 and the interrogation that they face in the culture and the world, the interrogation says, where is your God? And the message of Psalm 115 is very simply, we trust in the Lord. We trust in Him. And if ever there's a season for us to remind ourselves that what is our role today in Christ Jesus, well, it's to be God's incarnational love and it's to trust that that's what He desires for as hard as it's been and, and hard as it can be to just sort of think about ourselves and, and come into our own shell, God is saying, be my incarnational love in this world. Trust me. Trust in the Lord. It's interesting. I didn't really think about this until I was reading the text. Uh, I'll Actually, I'll save it for a second. There's an awkward ending to 1 John, but keeping Psalm 115... In the back of our minds. One, we need to look at 5.12. We'll look at 5.10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Christians, we believe that we have life in the Son of God. And then here's the the awkward ending, but if you have Psalm 115 in mind, this is his closing parting words are, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from these things that would draw our attention and our worship away from God. 
all of these icons, all of these images, all of these things that would steal us away. And I think John's same encouragement is to find life in Jesus, find your life in Him. Be reminded that Jesus came and He was fully God and fully human. He could hear, taste, smell. That He could walk with us and be with us. The, uh, I got a kid joke for you. Keep you kids involved. So, uh, what, what do you call a cow with no milk? A what? A milk dud? That's good, Oliver. I wasn't going for that one. That's funnier than my joke. A cow with no milk is an utter failure. But a milk dud is funnier. When we when we think about when we think about the gods of the ancient world, when we think about icons and idols, the message of the psalm is that they're lifeless. They can't see, they can't taste, they can't move, they can't do anything. They're completely powerless. They're like a cow with no milk. They're utter failures. That was the joke. Milk dud's better. You know, but here's a simple image, and and what what happened when I pretend ripped it? Uh, I was better the first time. There it is. There's the whatever. The uh, yeah, sorry. The value went down a little bit there, Eli. I didn't think about that. Went from fifty cents to forty-nine. But what did we do with the image of God when He came to be with us? God took on flesh and incarnational love, and He came, and that was Him here. And what did we do? In the crucifixion, we showed the frailty of our hearts and the brokenness of sin. But in the healing love of God, we are reconciled back to Him. And so what we have as Christians in the story of Scripture is the revelation of the very worst that we could do but we also have the very best of what God has done for us. We have the story of Christmas to remind us of God coming and being with us, and we have the story of Easter to remind us of the price He has paid and the love He has for us. The message hangs true that as Christians, we're called to trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. And when we trust in Him, we will find true life, eternal life in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. And it's easy. It's easy to trip up in our walk with You. And You know this. It's easy for us to be uh, enamored by whatever shiny and new 
God, it's easy for us to be distracted from our commitment to you, whether it's through the trials of today, the circumstances of our life, if it's a barrage of advertisements and reminder after reminder of what we are, are, are apparently missing. God, you know the pressures that we face externally and internally. Lord, you've had to hear from us our own question of where are you? Where are you when things aren't going right? Where are you when, when things seem out of control? Lord, we go back to the Psalms and we're reminded that you're not manipulated by our religion. You're not manipulated by our strategies and our attempts at controlling you. Because you are the God of heaven, and the God over all of the earth. And it's not to us, but it's to you. That's all glory and fame that's due. And so, Lord, help us to trust you and to know that you love us and care deeply for us. Not to turn our attention away from you, but draw closer to you in our devotions, our loyalties and allegiances to you and your kingdom. So, Lord, we ask for forgiveness where we've lost sight of this. We pray, God, that you would lead us to you. We thank you for Christmas and your son taking on flesh. Lord, that we would have new life, eternal life with you. We thank you for your spirit that is leading and caring for us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand in response?